The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. Hello and welcome to the Future of Business podcast produced by Oxford MBA students at the Said Business School. My name is Catherine Della. I'm your host for this episode, and I'm delighted to be joined by one of my fantastic MBA classmates, Diego Rojas. I'm going to let Diego introduce him himself. Go ahead. Hi, Catherine. I'm also really excited to be here. Thanks for, for the invitation. I was waiting for this the whole week, so happy to be finally here. Uh, well, my name is Diego. I am from Bolivia. I was born and raised in Bolivia. I lived there until I was 25 years old, and then I moved from to the U.S. for a couple of years. I worked in Italy for two years and I've been here in Oxford for the last two years. The first year I was doing a master's in public policy and now I'm doing an MBA. You've really been around the world, Diego. That's uh, I'm really looking forward to unpacking that. So I'm going to start with a question that we're asking all of our guests on this podcast, uh, which is what's a preconceived notion you had before you <coughs> came to Oxford or the business school that's since been changed? Well, when I was about to start my MBA, actually, when I was applying for the MBA, I saw the MBA as an opportunity to like take many classes in order to learn the different skills that I needed in order to like become an entrepreneur and become a leader at my startup. And then when I came, I found out that the MBA is not just about classes, but it's about everything that is happening surrounding the classes. I mean, like I've met like wonderful classmates I've, and there are so many extracurricular activities that had added so much to my to my journey here at the MBA. So I, I feel like my first impression that the MBA was just going to be like an academic degree has totally changed so far. Great. And tell me about some of these extracurricular activities. Well, yeah, uh, last year I had the opportunity to organize the Latin American conference, which is something that I was not expecting, but it was like a really great experience to get to know other people from my region and also other leaders from my region. And then this year I've taken part of the Impact Finance Lab, which is was a weekend looking into impact investment. Uh, it's something that I, I really wanted to do. and. When I saw that it was not on the core curriculum, I was a bit afraid that I was not going to learn about that. But I feel like just having a weekend on that was like totally, to totally great. And then I also took part on the SDG uh, on the SDG lab, which was a four weeks internship talking uh, working on SDGs in Tenerife with EasyJet holidays, and that was also like a great experience that I was not expecting to find here at Oxford. Perfect. And you mentioned in your introduction your startup. So I'd love to hear more about this. You're the co-founder of a startup called PasanaQ. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, about what PasanaQ does. So I started working on this idea three years ago, like one year before I started the MBA. And actually one of the reasons why I decided to, to do the MBA was because I wanted to see if there was a chance for me to like work on this idea full time. Uh, what Pasanacu is doing, we are trying to democratize access to financial services in Latin America, and we are doing it through the digitization of an informal savings practice that is pretty common in many developing countries. What we are working with ROSCA, ROSCA is the acronym for Rotating Savings and Credit Associations, and ROSCA is a way in which 
people save money alongside their friends and family. It's a really interesting way of saving money that is present in more than 70 different developing countries. It's mostly informal. All of the payments are made on cash. And 20% of Latin Americans save money in this way. So what we are building with PassanIQ is a platform that allows people to keep track of their Rosca groups, to digitize their Rosca groups. And we start making use of all of the payment information that they have on these Rosca groups to allow them to build an alternative credit score and to allow them to get access to other financial services has, such as insurance or microloans or buy now pay later schemes. So we've been working with this for, for three years and Oxford has been really helpful in order to take PASANAQ to the next stage. And what, what brought you to start PASANAQ? What, what was your journey to, to having that idea? I feel it's an interesting journey that I started a long time ago. Actually, my idea of working on financial inclusion started when I moved to the U.S. I'm an engineer by training. I studied mechatronics engineer, and I was and I actually moved to the U.S. in order to continue my engineering studies. I was doing a master's in renewable energies. But one thing that shook me the most when I moved to the U.S. was the realization that financial uh, literacy was something that could really have an impact in everyone's life. I, when I moved to the U.S., I thought that in order to invest money, you needed to like have a, a degree in economics. You needed to have like tons of money. You needed to have like uh, lawyers wor working for you. And I was also like really afraid of credit. I thought that credit was only bad. That credit was not a good way of like uh, living your life. And that credit cards were like the worst thing that could ever happen to you because banks just wanted to ro rob you. But after living in the U.S. and talking to a lot of people and taking some online courses, I started investing $10 on Robinhood with only like some basic knowledge and some basic courses. And I also realized that it, uh, with a credit card, if I was making payments on time, it was only beneficial to me and that it was allowing me to do things that otherwise I, I could not. So I realized that it took me like 25 years to realize how important is financial inclusion and financial literacy. And that was happening to me. And I feel like in a way I was a privileged person. I was coming from um, private school, from a private university, and I had the opportunity to, to move to the U.S. to study. So I was really privileged compared to the rest of the Bolivians and the rest of Latin America. So I realized that most of the people in Latin America will never have the chance to realize how important financial literacy was for them and that they will never have the chance to like have this opportunity to go abroad to have this realization. So ever since I, I decided that eventually I wanted to help bring financial inclusion to Latin America. This was seven years ago. Back then, I didn't know how to how to do that, but that, uh, that was already like a seed that was planted on my mind. I moved to Italy in order to um, to to keep continue working on engineering. And while I was in Italy, I started talking with with who is now my co-founder. Uh, he's also from Bolivia. He's way younger than me. He just finished his undergrad degree, but he's a person who is really, really energized. And since I met him in the U.S. for a brief conference, he, he told me that he also wanted to work on financial inclusion. And he convinced me to get in, on a call with him once every month in order to discuss how we could eventually do something together. And after like a, some months that we were talking about financial inclusion, about like academic courses in order to do this, we realized that there was a practice that was really common in Latin America. And we realized that people in Latin America did know the importance of saving money. They did know the importance of getting a loan. 
the thing was that they were not getting along or saving money or, uh, on ways in which we call like the formal ways of saving money or formal ways of banking. But they were already saving up to 20% of their monthly income in the, on these informal saving clubs. So we realized that if we wanted to bring financial inclusion to Latin America, we did not need it just to copy what Europe has done or what the US has done, but we needed to start working on something connected to our our culture to let the traditions the Latin Americans have. And in this way, Rosca is something very traditional. Actually, Rosca is so traditional that it has a different name in every country because, because people associate it to their culture. In Bolivia, uh, Rosca is called Pasanacu. Pasanacu is an Aymara word that means saving money. And that's why we decided to to call our startup Pasanacu. So once we realized that people were already saving money on these informal saving clubs, we decided to build a platform that will allow people to keep track of their Rosca, group, uh, of their Rosca groups. And we decided to start working on financial inclusion starting on that. So I was moved in my e working Italy from being an electric engineer to being a software engineer. And they were so nice to me that they were like teaching me how to code mobile apps, how to go backend, frontend, uh, web pages. So during the day, I was learning all of this stuff and I was working for my company. And during the night, I started like coding my own my own app, which was like Pasianaki back then. So after a year that like working, I was working alongside my, my co-founder on this on this app and like doing some research and doing some interviews and working on the on, on the prototype of the app, I realized that it was time for me to like try to see if there was a bigger opportunity and that I really wanted to go back to Latin America after five years of being abroad. I really wanted to have an impact in Latin America. So I saw the MBA as an opportunity for me to make the transition from like my full-time job as an engineer to like kind of like lead this initiative and go back to Latin America to see how big its real impact would be. And how big has it been? What's what's the stages Persona Q at at the moment? Well, it's been a difficult journey. Uh, <laughs> when I decided to become an entrepreneur, I didn't know it was going to be that tough, that <laughs> difficult. But it's been an exciting journey as well. I mean, we've created a team of eight people who are working now full time back in Bolivia. Uh, thanks to the connections that I made here at Oxford, we were able to fundraise a, a small a small round last year. We fundraised $150,000 from a VC from the US, a, a family office in the US and others, other angel investors from Latin America. So with that 150K, we are now fully operational in Bolivia with a team of eight people working full time. And we have enough runway until July this year. Uh, we launched our official app on the Apple market, on the Android market last year in October. And so far we have 5,000 users. And we also have one B2B customer, which is the largest bank in Bolivia. We are integrating the platform that we created with the platform that they have, with their mobile app that they have for their users. So they are offering what we are doing as an extra benefit to their users. And we are getting paid like a monthly fee from this bank. So we are at the moment now where we are thinking about fundraising again. We'll be fundraising starting the next month because we saw that there is a huge opportunity 
see especially in Colombia and in Mexico we want to scale to one of these two countries because Roski is something that is really common in these two countries and they have many similarities with Bolivia a really big informal economy that doesn't allow people to to have a collateral in order to get like a formal loan and we think that with Pasanacu and with Rosca we can help people like get access to a better interest rate on this on the on these loans so our next step is to like um, keep scaling keep, keep testing and keep adding other financial services on top of the of the platform that we already have yeah I mean getting 5,000 users already is amazing uh, and that's just in Bolivia right so far yeah, it's just in Bolivia. The thing is that um, one of the biggest learnings that I've had during this last year was that I initially coded the app thinking of what I wanted to see on an app. And then when we tested this app with uh, with our customers, I mean, we were getting like really, really bad feedback because uh, our customers are, are, are not like me. I mean, they are from a different background. They don't have like two master's degrees in Oxford and they have like an informal business they don't have like a full uh, like a formal salary a monthly salary so we realized that if we wanted to like create an impact on people we needed to build things based on what people wanted not based on what we wanted what we thought they wanted uh, so although we have like 5,000 users, our conversion rate is 30%. It was 15% before, it was like way lower because we have been slowly realizing that all of the changes that we need to do shouldn't be based on what we think is best for them, but it's like mainly based on the conversations that we have with them on the, and on the feedback that they give to us uh, on the platform. And one of your big focuses for the future is this alternatives credit score. So part of the, the goal, I understand, of PasanaQ is to gather the data to be able to put forward these kind of alternative scores. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I think uh, I'm going to start by describing briefly how ROSCA works for people who are not familiar with the term. So ROSCA is an informal saving club, as I said. It's a club of people that decide to save money together. It's usually people who have relationships between them. They are either like friends or or co-workers or family members. So let's say that me alongside other four people decide that we wanna create a group. And we decide that each one of us wanna save $100 every month. So on the first month, we are five people, each one putting like $100 on a common pool of money. And those $500 are going, uh, are gonna be withdrawal by me. On the second month, all of the people are putting the same amount of money on the common pool again, and those $500 are going to a second person, on the third month to a third person, until until the fifth month in which like the last person withdraws like the fourth $500. So at the end, everyone withdraws all the money that they put. But for me, for the person who receives the money at the beginning, it's like getting a free loan because I'm getting $500, sometimes zero, and I'm just paying $100 every month in order to pay back that loan. And for the person who receives the money at the end, you will think that it's just like any other way of like saving money. But what's nice about Roska is that it adds an extra social pressure for this person because this person cannot stop saving money because on Christmas he spent too much money on presents because his family and friends depend on him saving $100 every month. So actually Roska allow people to, to achieve their saving goals. And that is why Rosca is so important in, in, in Latin America. It's not only about the financial benefit that you get out of Rosca, but it's also about feeling this feeling of 
be belonging to a community this feeling of knowing that you are helping your friends save money but that they are also like helping you achieve your saving goals so we think as we as i said people in latin america 20% of them save money with rosca and they spend up to 20 or 25% of their monthly income on rosca and we are talking about people who as i said don't have a formal job who have like a small business and they don't have like a monthly income that they can show to a bank in order to get a loan so if we are able to digitize this information we can eventually say okay Catherine uh, doesn't have a formal job. She doesn't have a monthly income that she can show. She doesn't have like a big house, but she has been saving $200 every month for six months without missing a single payment and without being delayed by more than one day on, the, on, on her payments. So we know that if we offer Catherine a uh, $1,000 loan, she's gonna be able to pay us back. And this is huge in Latin America because currently these people only have access to what we call like shark loans or to micro loans, which have been like really have become like really common all around the world. But these micro loans or, or these shark loans, their interest rates are from 30% up to 100% uh, yearly. So it's a huge burden on people who are like the poorest people. So we think that by digitizing Rosca and by digitizing all of this information that people are already all of these savings that people are already that people already have we're going to be able to offer them access to better interest rates either with us or we can like either like connect them with a credit bureau or with other financial institutions that are going to finally be able to see all of this information that has so far been hiding from the financial system so it's a real way to basically bring as you said originally democratizing financial services bringing more people um into the system and allowing more access to these services for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing that we think we are building with Pasanakyu is that we are one of the few startups who are working on something that is culturally connected to people. So we are not just another bank who are going to the rural area and telling Diego, Diego, you need this, you need this because all of the people in the US, if they are rich, they, they get loans, they have a bank account, so we know what's best for you. We are building something starting from what, is, what people can relate to. And if, pe and if we are able to gain people's trust because we are working, we can show them that we can understand their needs, we're gonna slowly be putting more financial literacy content on our platform because we wanna tell them, okay, so far you can like keep using rosca as a way of saving money but what if you see you watch this video and what if instead of like spending the money that you get out of rosca you open a bank account with us what if you get insurance for for your family with us what if you get a, a, a microphone with us so, so you can like grow your business and we're gonna like tell you when a, a credit is a, a, when an interest rate is good or when an interest rate is bad for you so that's why we think that we have the possibility we're going to have the possibility to really connect with people to gain people's trust and if we gain people's trust we're going to be able to offer them access to our financial services so our main goal our ultimate goal is to to be able to include all of these people that have been saving money that have been getting loans that have been like slowly improving their lives finally include them to the financial system that's great. And I understand at the moment Pasana Q 
it's not where like the money is still kept in the traditional Roscoe relation um, arrangements. It's more Pasanacu as a way to track that and hence get the data that we spoke of before. Yeah, exactly. Because at this point, we don't want to force people to open a bank account with us because at this point they don't see the benefit of opening a bank account with us what we are doing is, is what you just said we are just tracking what people are doing on the rosca cruise so people are, are still paying the the rosca payments on cash and they are still like handing all the groups on, on cash but if we know when a person has paid how much he has paid we are finally able to like digitize that information and slowly and eventually, once we gain their trust and once they start understanding what is the benefit of having a, a, a bank account, what is the benefit of like getting a small interest rate of your bank account, they may be open or willing to open us, open us the door to offer them access to these other financial services. Excellent. And let's let's bring it back to the Oxford context. You mentioned that your connections in Oxford were really helpful to getting that first one hundred fifty thousand dollars of funding. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I feel like Oxford was fundamental in this in this journey. Uh, actually, when I when I just came when I came to Oxford for my MPP, I was talking about uh, of this idea to my friends just to what because I just wanted to get some feedback on what we were working on when what we were building and then one of my friends told me could i invest on your idea or like can i help you or like can, what if we what if you think about this other way in which we can like improve the platform that you are working on so it was thanks to my friends and the people that i met here at oxford that i realized that there was a real opportunity on what we were building that there that we could have like a real impact not just in bolivia but latin america and it was while I was hearing Oxford that I decided and we decided as a team to like really give it a go and try to fundraise some money that will allow us to like have a full team working on this and to like really make it grow. So I started going to, um, to different panels. I started going to different talks, me, uh, talking to different investors, talking to professors. I was doing the MPP back then, and I took an elective here at the business school. I took a, uh, an elective on, on entrepreneurial finance, and I the elective was really good in order to like help me understand how how to fundraise, like what to show to investors, like what VCs were interested on. So that was really helpful, and also finally. Um, I had the opportunity to do an internship on a VC firm before starting my MPP. And that was because I already had like the, the Oxford brand on my CV, I feel, I think. So that was also really helpful because I was able to see what investors were looking at. So it was it was a bit tough. Uh, I think I ended up talking to around 70 people. Um, many of them told me that they didn't invest in Latin America, that they didn't really understand what we were working on because as I said, Trotsky is something really, really traditional, really typical to developing countries, but it's not that common in in the UK or in Europe. So a lot of people told me that they they, they wouldn't invest. But when I hear that from them, I was I kept asking them, do you know someone who like will be interested in what we are doing or someone who has like interest in, in Latin America? And eventually I ended up um, yeah, meeting my, my two investors here. One of them I met um, at at the talk. They came here to choose because one of the 
or their partners is a, a, an Oxford alumni. So he comes here once every year in order to like look for interesting startups all around the world. And the other, the other investor I met was because I signed it up for a pitching night here at Oxford. There is like this pitching night, I think once every two months. And I just came here to, to test my, my pitching skills. And luckily, I got one one investor who who attended the session who was really interested in what we were building. So it was um, an interesting journey. Um, I feel like without Oxford, definitely I will. It would have been like way much much more difficult to to fundraise. I'm not even sure if I would have been able to fundraise without without being here at Oxford. It's really encouraging. So at the moment in the MBA, we're taking on a part of the program called the Entrepreneurship Project, uh, which, as you mentioned, pitching, I think we had about 50 different MBAs pitching different business ideas at a session a few months ago. But you have a team working on PersonaQ as part of Entrepreneurship Project. So can you explain what that experience has been? What are you trying to achieve for the, the business through this, this part of the MBA program? Yeah, sure. First of all, I feel like EP is great. It's so nice to to see that almost everyone at the MBA is now going through the same journey that I've been going through the last two years. So <laughs> yeah. there is a lot of empathy there. Uh, I really like it, and I've seen like really really interesting ideas that I think that they have like so much value and so much future. And then talking about my my EP team, it's it has been so so good to have them because I see I see them as my advisory board. I mean, uh, I still have my team working full time in Bolivia on the day to day operations, but in Bolivia, I don't have access to this team of experts, to 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 people who have been like leading startups in, in, in Africa who have, who, or who have been doing consulting in two or three different countries. So my EP team is really diverse. I have someone from Argentina, two people from Nigeria and one pe- one person from Japan. And they have been adding so much value to what we are doing. They are basically helping us understand how we can improve our retention rate. And that is fundamental to, for what we are working on with PASANACU. So it's been one month so far. I still have like two more months with them. And as I, as I told them, I feel like they are going to be really important in my journey and on, on this task that I have now of, of fundraising money again. They are going to help me with the investment deck, with the data room and with everything we need in order to have everything finalized so we can start fundraising like starting next month. Yeah, and tell me more about the plans for fundraising. What, what, are, you, what are you targeting for this next round of fundraising? in terms of particular types of investors, locations of those investors. What can you share? Perfect. Yeah, sure. So I don't have like the final details of the round yet, but I think we're going to be fundraising around 1 million or 1.5 million. The idea is to have enough runway for two years and to keep operating in Bolivia, but also to scale to Mexico, which is like the largest market, as I said, for Rosca in Latin America. Um, We are mainly we're going to be approaching these investors interested in the Latin American market, but we're also going to be approaching uh, impact investors. Uh, as I said, I, I, I think I didn't mention this, but one of the the, the family office that invested in, in us, they are an impact investor uh, and they are focused on like 
startups who can have like a positive uh, social impact in their communities. And I feel like that on that side, we can do so much in not only in Bolivia, but in Latin America in general. So yeah, I feel like our fundraising approach is gonna be to talk to anyone who will be interested in like creating a positive impact in Latin America. And by the way, we feel that we're not just gonna create a positive impact, but we're also gonna be, have the opportunity to like provide good returns to, to our investors. <laughs> that, that sounded like the end of a pitch. Hopefully. I loved it. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk a little bit more about the future for Pasanaki. So we've, we've heard these uh, plans to expand to Mexico and Colombia a bit. Um, and I understand that you might even be considering moving the headquarters um, for your team to Mexico. So really interested to hear more about that. Yeah, we are really excited about what we are building. I feel that I've been, it was difficult, but we were able to 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 create a really united team, uh, a team that really works well together. And just because we understand that our main impact can can, can be in in Mexico, I mean, anyone in my team is open to like moving to to Mexico. Uh, we are now working with McKinsey on the, on their accelerator program, and they have been really helpful helpful in like helping us understand how big of a market Mexico is, which are the the problems and the issues that people are facing in Mexico, and we can totally relate to that. I feel like Mexico is really similar to Bolivia, so yeah, we are really excited to see what's uh, what's our. W- how the future is going to look like for Pasionacu. We are still going to be operating in Bolivia. That's where we are from. Uh, that's the country that we love. We feel that we ha- we can have so much impact there. But we are. We also think that Latin America shares a common culture. We share a common language. We There are so many similarities between Latin America. Even, I mean, you may have seen this, but here at the NBA, it's not like we have a group of Bolivians or a group of Argentinians, but it's a group of Latin Americans. So I feel like we definitely need to scale to the rest of Latin America. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take us. Because one thing that we want to do right is to connect with the differences, with the small differences, nuances that there are between different cultures. So we don't just want to copy what we are doing with Pasanaki in Bolivia, in Mexico, but we need to understand first, which are the different ways in which people use Rosca in Mexico, which are the differences in, in political and social issues in Mexico, because we need to like connect with them culturally and we need them to trust us. So we want to take the, the scale process like slowly. We don't want to like go to all of the all of the Latin American countries at the same time, but we want to go like step by step. And did the MPP help you with understanding that political and cultural context? Or uh, I'm I'm curious as to what sort of takeaways you had from the MPP, other than those initial connections that you mentioned that helped you get your first round of funding. Before starting the MPP, my background in in public policy was zero. So it was great in the sense that it helped me understand how regulations work, like how the private sector can work alongside the public sector towards like providing better goods for for people in general. And it gave me a really good framework to think about, especially talking about Pasanacu, because we are working with Rosca and Rosca is something that is 
not regulated in, in many or most of the countries in Latin, uh, Latin America. So we, we're going to have to eventually approach to regulators and to work with them. So the MPP was really good in that sense, in helping us understand which are the steps that we need to take and like which are the, the, the time frames that we need to take into account if we eventually want to become like something big in Latin America. Okay, and so looking to the future, Diego, I'm curious if you'd you'd put your hand to starting another business. Like, let's let's imagine Pasanacu is very successful. Well, I certainly hope it's very successful. You know, it gets acquired, and you're looking for your next step. Is there is there another business idea you've got in in the pipeline? I, I wouldn't say that there is a business idea, but I I, th- I have a passion that I I will like to like continue working with, which is education. Um, I would like to be connected to education in the future. I feel like uh, a country can benefit so much if we invest in education, especially in Latin America. So, and I don't know if that's gonna be like work, uh, starting a business that's working on education or working from, from the public sector into improving ed- education in my country, but that's something, that's definitely something that I wanna continue working on. Five years ago, I I founded an NGO that is working with education in Bolivia. We are helping people get access to um, scholarships abroad because I think that they this gives them like better opportunities to like improve as per, uh, as people and improve as professionals. But the impact that we have, we've had so far, I feel like it's really limited. So I feel like there is so much that I can do. And that's something that I will definitely would like to like continue pursuing after after Pasanacu is successful and uh, after we we make an interesting exit in the Latin American market. <laughs> okay, you've got so much exciting things on the horizon. Um, we end every podcast with the same question to our guests, and this is another future focused one. So, seeing as we're called the Future of Business podcast. My final question to you, Diego, is what do you think the future of business will look like in 100 years? So in 21, 23. I would like, uh, I, f- I hope that in 100 years, inequality is gonna decrease because a lot of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are gonna start looking or are gonna continue looking at how to improve the lives of the poorest people in uh, around the world. I. I'm really hopeful about this because I've seen a lot of interest of investors into investing in Latin America or Africa or Asia. And I feel like by investing in these countries, you can like totally change people's life. If if you work on a startup in, in the US or in, in Europe, you are like marginally improving people's life because they are already well off. But if if you go and invest in Latin America, you are basically like doing impact investment. It doesn't matter what you are investing on. So hopefully in 100 years, uh, we're gonna see way less inequality. And I feel like that's gonna be because because of entrepreneurs. Um, I really have a lot of faith in, in entrepreneurs in, in these developing countries and what, we, what they can achieve, especially because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs who are who have grown in these economies, who have seen these issues, who have felt this pain, and not only entrepreneurs who studied in, in Harvard or in Oxford and decided to go back to the regions because they, they think that they saw what people needed, but I'm really hopeful about seeing a lot of entrepreneurs uh, coming from, from these 
marginalized backgrounds and working on issues that they feel are representative to their to their communities. Diego, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and, and taking us through the Pasana Q journey. Thank you, Catherine. It's been my pleasure. I've had a, a great time. This was my first podcast in English, so I'm really proud about that too. <laughs> and hopefully we'll be talking again. I look forward to it. That's all for this episode of the Future of Business podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please get on wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so the next episode is ready for you. I've been your host, Catherine Della. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.